I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower. A weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Come correct with Maximum Firepower. For you and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. This is Maximum Firepower with Tom Morello. My guest is Dennis DeYoung of Styx. It is an honor to have you on the show, and I know that you're a very humble person, but the one thing that we have very much in common is that we are Chicago rockers. And I would like to just begin, how did your Chicago area upbringing and being a band in the Chicago area affect your music and your musical life? I think it's everything, Tom. As you know, as a Midwesterner and a guy from Chicago, we are no slaves to fashion. (laughs) That is an understatement. No, I grew up on the South Side, which you know is the working Mm -hmm. class area of Chicago. That's correct. The idea that I was from the second city from Chicago and that I played accordion. Tom, I played accordion. You talk about having a chip on your shoulder. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think we're very grounded people, people from Chicago, you know, people in New York and L.A., you've you've been both places, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to be somebody. And the reason I never moved to L.A. is I didn't want to have to be somebody every day in my life. Yeah. And every time I was there, I drive around, I go, I got to be me. I got I, I can't be me. I got to be the grand illusion, Tom. See what yeah, I did? There? Yeah. <laughs> I got to be. What people think I am, who they think I am. I'm not that person. Yeah, I think I mean, that sounds very accurate to me. And I have always kept with me like that grounded Midwestern. And I think that being able to incorporate that into your career and your music is something that you've always done and that uh, some of my favorite Chicago musicians have done as well. But let me just tell you first my rocky history with your band Sticks. Now, I grew up as a heavy metal fan in Libertyville, Illinois, which is a northern Mm -hmm. suburb of Chicago. And I was also a member of the drama club in my high school. And all of the people on the crew in drama club were huge Sticks fans. And they all had the shirts and whatnot. And for me, I was just like, it wasn't heavy enough. It wasn't rocking enough for me. I didn't realize, and it was radio saturated. I mean, as you can see, there's millions of gold and platinum records on your wall for good reason. Because it was played all the time on every radio station. And for me, I was sort of veering a little harder, a little less of center. It was later when I discovered just what a great fucking band sticks is i would return to my hometown of libertyville as a rock star in rage against the machine and audio slave and i would go to the one bar downings on milwaukee avenue and i would commandeer the jukebox and only play sticks to the point where everyone was so sick of my love of your band you listen you should consider yourself very fortunate because if there wasn't a covid i'd get on a plane fly there and kiss you on the lips (laughs) <laughs> I am very, I am then very fortunate, but it's an absolute true story. It is a conversion and story. Did you take so, methadone for that? You just, you did the cold turkey, right? <laughs> so tell me for a minute, like put me in the shoes of a Chicago band on the brink of rocking the world. It took us a very long time to get discovered because guys like you weren't accepting us right away. So imagine 1970. I know you can, you were alive. You were yeah. just a kid, right? Yep. Yep. Well, Prime Music had just become popular, 69, 70, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, all those bands. And we were a cover band in Chicago. We played the hits because we liked money and getting hired was a good idea. This is before, long before you started making records. And the whole process was you were a live musician first and foremost. If you weren't a live musician, you weren't going to get looked at by any record company. So you made your bones play in front of human beings. 
And then a guy came out. We made some demo tapes. Bill Trout from Wood Nickel Records, that says it all, came out and saw us. And he said, I'll sign you to a deal. But honestly, I never had a clue about what I was doing. If you like me and you think I've done some good stuff, it was all dumb, stupid luck as far as I can tell. I was making shit up as I went along, Tom. But when I wrote Lady, which I wrote for the very first album, and it was the first song I ever wrote and sang on a record, and I didn't know what it was. Is it good, bad, or indifferent? I have no idea. And it took us four albums before we had any success. And the song that was supposed to be on the first album, Lady, got put on the second album. And when it came out, it was an abject, total stiff of a failure. If there's been a bigger bomb, I haven't heard about it. And then two and a half years later, WLS started to play Lady. And here's what happens. True story. We record Man of Miracles, the fourth album. We're going to go deliver the album to WDAI, which is upstairs of WLS in the Stone Container Building for all you Chicagoans. And on our way down, we go, we knock on WLS's door. Now, WLS, to get in there, it was like going to see the Pope. This was, you had to have an audience there. You're not getting in. So we knocked on the door and we were going to leave an album for laughs. The girl says, I'll call the, 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 oh, Sticks, yeah, Jim Smith will see you. Jim Smith's the program director. Must be a mistake. So we go in there and he says, well, I'm not going to play anything from this album. He said these words to me, but I'm going to play Lady tonight, once a night on John Records, Landecker show. And I'm going to play it once a night till it's a hit. He did. And that's why I'm sitting here talking to you today. Wow. If he hadn't wow. done it. That's crazy. I mean, that is a fortuitous knock on the door. <laughs> I don't know how. I, do you know why these things happen? You don't know why. Yeah. I don't I mean, know why. It that's happened. incredible. I mean, but without that trip, I wouldn't have been. The jukebox at Downings would have been an entirely different experience for everyone in the 90s and the 2000s. Now, we first met. We were first in a room together. Adam Sandler would have a, a yearly Hollywood holiday party and he would adam all he wants to do is play rock and roll that's really all he wants to do so once a year he would bully and cajole some of his friends and adversaries and people he was fans of throughout his entire record collection to come to perform with him on stage you and i were both playing that year it's a super fun gig and i was so excited to meet you backstage and you sang your ass off dude i don't know how this may be like 10 years ago five years ago six years ago and i was just like you sounded just like the voice on the jukebox at downings i was very impressed with that well, thank you. And little known fact is I grew up wanting to be Billy Madison. That's another story. <laughs> so people say, Dennis, how come you still sound the same as a singer? And I say, well, that is dumb, stupid luck. I took care of my voice. I hired a, a very large Ukrainian woman to yell at my children when they were bad just to save my voice. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. really, <laughs> my dad had a beautiful voice and I was this luck. Tom, yeah. uh, look, you spent a lot of time in your bedroom with your guitar. Everybody yes. knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you were determined. I was. Yeah. I was very determined. No, yeah. Nobody's stopping me. I'm Tom yeah. Morello. Later on, they'll call me the great Houdini. They're not stopping me. <laughs> so you don't know why you can do the things you do. What you do is practice. But trust me, that's a gift that you have. You can. Mm. I know people who could you could go in the room and do all the things you did. They're never going to play like you. But yeah. so for me as a singer, it was great fun. Adam has been such a great help to Styx's career. And such such a fan, I can't think. He's a really great guy, is he not? Mm -hmm. He's yeah, a great absolutely. Guy. He's a great guy. Great guy. So let me tell you my Tom Morello story. This is true. That night, my guitar player, August Zadra, comes up to you and said, would you like to meet Dennis DeYoung? And you said, you absolutely would. Yes. And so, uh, look, at, I know who you are. I told you my son, Matt. Mm -hmm. he, he blasted Rage Against the Machine in my house. Yes, yes. So 
he would say to me, what do you think of this? And I said, well, they got a good synth player. And he said, that's not a synth, that's a guitar. And I went, good grief. So, uh, and I thought, how we do that? So anyway, jump ahead to Adam's party. You come up and you tell me the story you just told everybody else. Only you said, I came to see the Paradise Theater tour. And I thought, this guy, because look at Pink Floyd just did an interview. Pink Floyd said, David Gilmour said, they were in the studio in 70 at Abbey Road when the Beatles were there. Yes. And they went in and met them. You know what he said? He told them, if it wasn't for you, there would be no Pink Floyd. Now, Pink Floyd doesn't sound like the Beatles, and you don't sound like Sticks, And I don't sound like Rage, but that don't yeah. mean we don't appreciate what other people do. That's correct, and share some of the same DNA. Now, let me tell I enjoyed that tour, but the one, like, I want to talk a little bit about the Kilroy Was Here tour, because I was at that one, too. Oh. Uh, I want to I talk a little about the art of it, but first, it was a jarring moment for me going to that concert, because it was the first time where I witnessed a rock interaction. I'm sitting up in the last row at the Rosemont Horizon, waiting for the show, and in between the opening band and your band, I see standing at front of house is a girl from my high school. So I'm making my way down, and I'm like, hey, hi, what's going on? She's like, hey, you're like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, how are you here? Like, it was just so magical. Like, you're in a room, you're like behind the rope. She's like, oh, I had sex with the sound man here so that I could meet the band later. And I just tried to keep my face like, like I'm like 16. Like, those things happen in the world. It was very unnerving and jarring. And then what was even maybe more unnerving and jarring was you put on a show that completely, I think, dumbfounded some percentage, some percentage of the audience. I thought it was a great theatrical production and it outflanked artistically a lot of rock and roll shows that I had seen with its ambition. First of all, you should have called me if I don't know you're going to be Tom Morello, but I had you in the front row. <laughs> number one, that guy back there someday. And yeah. uh, number two, uh, the reason I got in that night was because I had sex with the sound man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. It's a, it's a, it's a more sordid business than even I suspected. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, God. Yeah. Anyway, let me see if I can encapsulate this. In 1982, there were these brothers going around the country burning rock records. How unique. And they put us on the list of bands that should be avoided to their Christian fundamentalist. Because there was there was an alleged backward masking of lyrics. Is that correct? Was that the accusation that if you played the record backwards, yes. it told you to have a picnic with Beazelbub? So we were on the list and because of a song called Snowblind, which is about cocaine use and the, and the dangers of it. Nonetheless, they said at this point, play the record backwards is Satan moves in our voices. We're in the studio. We hear this bullshit. And so we put up the reel-to-reel -reel tape so we could actually go backwards. We did it and we listened. Sure enough, it really did sound like that. And I thought, wow. On the other hand, I've always said, we had the hardest time making these records sound right going forward. Yes. <laughs> let alone going backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, that was the first thing. And then we go to Japan. Domo arigato, which is thank you very much in Japanese. Everyone says it there. You've been to Japan, I'm sure. I have. They're polite. They're yes. very polite people. And then here's what happened. I was trying to say something about censorship. So I created a scenario where in the future, America falls on incredibly bad, hard times economically. And this guy who is a big mouth megalomaniac showman who owns his own cable network, he says the reason... He's going to got to find the other, right? This is what people do. That's the other we got to hate. 
he comes up with, up with this idea that rock and roll and Elvis Presley from that moment forward, the American culture and the American democracy was broken. And so he gets his senators and his congressmen to ban rock and roll. There it is. That's the premise. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's in the future. Rock and roll. and yeah. so they put the rock stars in prison. First guy that challenges the law. It's just a kind of middling band called Kilroy. They go and they play this. They, they defy the law. The MMM, the majority for musical morality. That's the name of the group. They storm the concert to arrest us. And a, a kid is killed. But they killed him on purpose to frame Kilroy for murder. Mm. Kilroy is convicted. He goes to a prison ship in Montrose Harbor, which is now dry. And the prison is guarded by robotos, Japanese robots. That's the premise. And so the idea then is this young kid named Jonathan Chance. He's trying to bring back rock and roll. So he's trying to contact Kilroy in prison and break him out so they can bring back rock and roll. This is the story. But it was about censorship. Technology, most important yeah. line he ever wrote was the problems plain to see too much technology, machines to save our lives, machines to humanize. I was trying to say that too much technology, we better make a bargain with the machines we create before they start replacing us. And it wasn't about AI, not in mm-hmm. 1982 to a kid mm-hmm. like me. It was about the people in my neighborhood, the blue collar workers who were systematically being replaced by automation. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, that it was I, that came across in the show, and it, it was considerably more high-minded than a lot of the the other shows that I was going to, and I really appreciated it. Tell me what you think about this, because I know that there was, uh, in all rock and roll bands, there's conflict, and often, I think, in great bands, the, the elements that make the band great are also sometimes the elements that undermine it. Now, I, and I don't know the sort of specifics of the problems that sticks, but I know there was like sort of a more theatrical element, perhaps brought by you, and, and maybe a more uh, melodic element, and there's like sort of a more of a rock and roll element, and that those things together, when they are able to create an alloy and a synergy, create great work, but each one comes with a conflict with both sort of sharpens the blade and perhaps can destroy the knife altogether. Thoughts? Kilroy was, as a project, was my idea. So it was Paradise Theater. Mm. And it was wildly successful because it was a great album and we combined the right amount of theatricality in it. Now, my idea about Kilroy was first, how do we get on film? Because I thought all the big bands, they're going to get on film. So I came up with this concept, hopefully, to create a picture of us as a band that would last. So the whole story, blah. All right, some people are reluctant. The greatest reluctance, it was not the music nor the concept. It was the idea that I asked the musicians to actually play actors in Mm. the story on stage. Yes, Yes. which they may have been, as a beginning as a Chicago cover band, they may have been less comfortable in the role of... Just Tommy Shaw. And I appreciate it. And I told him that he could do it. He did it. In 1983, there was a big change in the music scene. All of a sudden, all these bands were coming in from over in England. All us big bands in the late 70s, early 80s. You know what I mean? There was a change. More synths, more synth. Yep. So we released this record, and Roboto was the first single, which shocked the living hell out of people who were Styx fans. They said, what the hell is this? Sure. So we did about a third less album sales, which is we did two million instead of three. And it reflected also in our concert attendance because people were confused that it was just a theatrical performance and the actual yes. band wouldn't be there. Yep. So Tommy, <laughs> he was reluctant only because of the ask to go out there and act. And mm-hmm. so we opened the thing, the first 
four shows were all in like Pantages Theater. They were smaller places, theatrical places, city center in New York. And we went out and did it. It was an overwhelming success. Sold out four nights in every place. And he came up to me and said, I want to thank you for pushing me to do this. And then as the tour went on, we went into the big stadiums or the big arenas and we could feel there was a softening of ticket sales. What seems like a good idea when it's very successful can seem like less of a good idea when the yes. attendance falls. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, at the end of the tour, Tommy had been having dreams of a solo career for some time. And by his own admission, he had been doing things he shouldn't have done to himself with drugs and alcohol. What happened is he got so frustrated because he had a solo tour whisperer in his ear, a guy who was his good buddy, telling him, Tommy, you hear all the girls screaming for you? You could be a big star in your own right. So don't tell me they didn't scream at you and rage against the machine. They must have said, Morello, you can do anything. We rarely had women in our audience, but other than that, (laughs) yes. yeah. So here's the thing. Tommy, he was going to leave one of the biggest American rock and roll bands, but he did. And the four of us that were left, we were stunned. The other three guys were furious and they wanted Mm -hmm. me to replace him and go on. I said, you guys know who Tommy Shaw is to this band? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. I said, let's just give him the opportunity to make it and then we'll get back together again. Unfortunately, he made three solo albums. So the biggest thing that happened, Sticks never broke up. Tommy quit and not just because of Kilroy, but because Mm -hmm. he really wanted to be Tommy Shaw, a solo artist. That's the story. Swear to God, if I'm lying, Maybe a little. No, I'm not lying, I swear. (laughs) I believe you. This is Maximum Firepower. My guest is Dennis DeYoung, the singer of Styx. Well, let's come up to date. You contacted me about six months ago and said that you were making a record and asked me if I would play on that record. And I thought to myself, I remember that guy. He sounded fantastic, that Adam Sandler. What is Dennis in the year 2020? What is Dennis DeYoung kind of music? And you sent me a song or a couple of choices of songs to perhaps plan. One of them was called The Last Guitar Hero. And I got to tell you, when I put it on, I was blown away by it. It sounded like it was a song that could have been on Sticks Greatest Hits at Downing's on that jukebox. It sounded so great, and it was so much you in the classic version of you that I like. So I decided I would ruin it with my guitar playing, all of the R2-D2 sounds that would be very completely foreign to that sort of music. I would just like insert them into that so that I would at least one day be able to hear myself ruining a great Dennis DeYoung song at the jukebox in Downing's. Milwaukee Avenue in Libertyville, Illinois. So thank you for that opportunity. Kids, you see what he's doing here? This is Chicago. We are no slaves to fashion. We're not good at blowing ourselves up. So what we go with is depreciating humor. Maybe you've noticed it in me. (laughs) That's what he just, you're not watching this podcast because Tom Morello is your favorite singer. No, he's one of the most unique, genuine, and spectacular guitar players ever. So I'm thinking, when I write this song about the last guitar hero, which is really about technology, again, replacing people, only this time he's replacing the guitar player. So I thought, who could do this? You know any guitar heroes? Oh, they're all dead. No, listen, I'm thinking old guys. I'm thinking young guys. And my son, Matt, says, you met Tom Morello? I said, yeah, but he's not going to do this. I don't want to call somebody up and have him say, uh, no, it's, uh, I'll be busy till next year. No. So anyway, I chicken shit it out for a long time. It's true. 
because we're all the same. Deep inside, we're all the same, Tommy. We don't want to be rejected. You know so why when, you did what so, you so wanted? When, so, when, so when Peter Frampton said no, that's when you finally called? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Peter didn't return my calls. <laughs> I asked Peter Chris. He's busy singing <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I got the nerve up to ask. I figured what can, all he can say is no. But I thought, you know, the last guitar hero could be Tom. All right, what, what's the one after him? Are you before or after Jack? What's his name? I'm before uh, Jack White. So Jack White may be the last guitar hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like you better. Yeah, so <laughs> he's a, But he's a better singer than you. So yeah. anyway, I'm thinking, Granted. what would be something that you hear it and then there's no explanation? Mm -hmm. You got what I'm saying? Listen yeah, to me. Yeah. Don't go weaseling out going, oh, yeah. shuck. I said, the minute he starts playing, you go, I know. That's like my voice. Mm -hmm. Nobody goes, oh, I know who that is. I hate that guy. So anyway, if with you, he says, yes. I went like this. Remember, honey? We were upstairs. I guess he said, yes. Now I think he has impaired judgment. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, I sent him and he, and he sends this miracle back to me. I laugh because I'm thinking, I didn't think for a minute you would do what you did. It was like, okay, what is that? Even though I know your music. Mm -hmm. It was so you so i played it from people i don't tell anybody somebody says that sounds like tom morello and so i said it is and then next question everybody asks me how did you get him to do that for you i mean this is where we come full circle on this for you see he went to see kilroy was here and he thought it was like what was that but if you really break down rage's music break it down fundamentally all their music is based on the chords and babe <laughs> You mean the movie about the pig? Yes, not the song. <laughs> I think we should contact some musicologists to, yeah, to you investigate. Might, you, might, you might have some litigation here. I think I have royalties coming. <laughs> all right, so let's tell all the listeners and viewers about this record. Because it's, I just saw something about like where it's going to be your last recorded work or something like that. That sounded kind of dire, and we're hoping that we hope that your health is well. But what is, what is the premise behind this last record, and and why and why, okay. and why is there an ominous like subtitle to it? I didn't want to make any more albums, and then my buddy Jim Peterick, you know him, he's Eye of the Tiger. He's my neighbor. He lives like three blocks. He hounded me, Dan, you gotta, I said, I, I don't need to make any more recorded music because there's no music business. So I didn't want to do it. I got talked into doing it. I thank Jim. It was the greatest thing I ever did. I got to do two volumes, one and two, to say goodbye to my fans. I'm not going to make any more albums. It's worthless and a useless proposition for somebody like me. Will I ever record another song? Possibly, but I'm not going to make an album, Tom, because it's too much work. Now, what you listen to, I mixed every note of that album by myself, which I do. No other engineer but me in the room to do that stuff. That's too much work for a 74-year-old who's in the house with his wife for over a year. And all this time, she says to me, even in here, I want a six-foot distancing between <laughs> us. At times, she says, even during sex. She said, it's never been better. I don't know. But honest to God, I'm so happy I did this. The album's called 26 East. Volume two, because it's my address where the band Sticks was formed mm. in my parents' basement in 1962 when the Panazzo brothers, twins, lived across the street from me. And the three of us formed the nucleus that would become Sticks. Wow. Wow. 
Well, that is just truly amazing. Well, I got to tell you, it is an honor for me. I mean, we joke a lot, but it is an honor for me to play on a song with you. And a song that sounds, I think the song sounds freaking great. I'm going to play it on all my radio stations and whatnot. And definitely on the jukebox at Downings, get ready. Oh, man. Get, I get ready. Get ready, Libertyville. Get ready, Libertyville. See, you see what I'm saying? Neil Schoen doesn't have an XM serious thing to play the music. I'm not picking him. That's right. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to see that the careerist Chicago fires are still burning hot. But Dennis, thank you very, very much for being on the show. It's really great to talk. You're so you you may be ending your recording career, but you can begin your stand up career. No, I'm sitting down. I'm, I'm going to be the first sit down comedian. And let me just say to you, Tom Morello and all his fans, he's going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what he's doing. I know this is going to happen. And all I can say is thank you, Domorigato Tom Morello, for playing on this record. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, Dennis Young, thank you very much. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. <laughs>